0: Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you. Hi, guys made me follow the kids. I'm not nearly as cute. I'm not nearly as good of a singer. This is this is challenging. All right. <laughs> oh, man. So I, those of you who have known me for a little while know that I've been a church kid and a missionary kid my whole life. So I have many vivid Mary, uh, memories of standing on a stage quietly when I'm supposed to be singing. It's uh, a... <laughs> One of my favorite traditions. <laughs> it's like, uh oh, man. I was a Sunday school, school teacher for a little while, or you know, one of the helpers back there at one point when I was younger. And I remember like the kids would like be doing all the hand motions in practice and singing all. I'm like, oh, that's some, some of them are really good singers. You get them out on stage here. It's like that the whole time. Awesome. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Awesome. So I um I have a relatively brief message for us today. Um, and I, I just have a few things I want to share. I just kind of wanted to let you in on a little bit of process that I've been going through personally. And then um, I just kind of want to chase after that a little bit. Does that sound good? Cool. So, I, um, so as, as some of you know, I'm the director of the Bethel Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank um, you. And I am... Um, When we were, uh, uh, gosh, it was four or five weeks ago or so, I woke up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden I heard the Holy Spirit say, just woke up and immediately heard him say, you're going to have a different kind of Christmas party this year. I thought, that's a strange thing to say. And, you know, normally for our school of ministry, we have like a little bit of a fun Christmas party right before the last day of school is over and we you know, just have some, like, Christmas cookies or snacks or things like that and just spend time together, you know, just kind of more, like, fun fellowship kind of oriented thing. But I knew immediately that he was talking about that. And as I kind of processed that with the other school directors, we really felt like we were just supposed to have a, just focused on his presence worship night. And so as we were planning on that and, you know, getting prepared for that, this phrase kept running through my head constantly. Like, every... Every day, four or five times a day, I would have this phrase just go through my head over and over and over again. And it's funny because it's a phrase that I think is super cheesy. It's a phrase that, like, kind of annoys me, um, even though I, I like the sentiment behind it, of course. But the the it feels like one of those, like, weird Jesus jabs, like, <laughs> you should be a better Christian, blah, kind of thing. And But this phrase that was going through my head over and over again was put the Christ back in Christmas, put the Christ back in Christmas. And again, obviously that's a sentiment I agree with, but again, it, it's not necessarily a phrase that was special to me. And as I, um, as I just thought about it more, I realized or, or remembered something that I already knew, that the word Christ actually means the, the anointed one. And all of a sudden, just for, for whatever reason for me, it just clicked into a different place in my mind when I had heard that phrase before, put the Christ back in Christmas, it was very much like a, you know, Santa's bad, let's talk more about Jesus, you know. And that that kind of thing of like, oh, we're getting too far away from the original meaning of the story. But this, to me, went even to a deeper layer to uh, and the, uh, kind of my, my way of interpreting how this revelation hit me was I should make sure not to miss out on the blessing and the anointing that's available as we celebrate the culmination of God's plan to restore man to himself, you know? And so I wanted to just share a little bit of my personal process with putting the Christ back in Christmas. And then I felt I felt like I had something to kind of activate this in you. Does that sound good? Cool. Um, so we have a conundrum when it comes to organized religion, at least in my In in my perspective, we are being called to be be thankful, to be grateful, to celebrate something—a gift that's been given us that that is bigger than we could possibly comprehend, it's bigger than we can understand, the idea that Jesus died so that we might be saved, so that we would not have to endure eternal damnation, that we could, that we could be absolutely free, that not, not, not only could we be saved, but we could be restored to full relationship with him, actually be adopted into his family. That's a gift that is so immense, so big, and given to us completely freely, it's hard to quantify, it's hard to get a grip on. It's hard to process. It's hard to uh, really feel sometimes in a tangible way. Does anyone else ever experienced that? One person who's not too nervous to raise their hand has ever experienced that, but that's okay. Um, and so I wanted to share a brief story from my life. that uh, This is kind of a little bit of a different angle. But it it's a time when I was younger when I realized... When I realized that I, well, let me just tell the story. It's, it's a story about understanding thankfulness. So this is a simple story, but it's one that's kind of a little bit of a tipping point of my whole life. And it happened when I was, if I remember correctly, I believe I was six or seven years old. And so when I was, when I was five years old, my whole family moved to uh, Moscow, Russia to be missionaries there. and. When we moved there, it was kind of right after communism had fallen, and then kind of in the middle of the kind of restoration period there. And so I remember, you know, I was, I was a little kid. I was five when we moved there, and we were there for three and a half years. So I was really little, so um, I didn't really understand the full implications of everything that was going on in the country there. Um, but, you know, there was this total economic breakdown. There was this... this huge sweeping change in the government there that rattled every single person that lived there. And you know a lot of the people there, it's funny because this was a time when like in all the movies and all the like cartoons and stuff I would watch as a kid like the Russians were always the bad guys, you know. It was all, you know, Red Dawn and Rocky IV and you know, all this stuff where it's like always, the, these are the bad guys. And my first little revelation was I moved there and I got to meet all these people and I'm like, these are just kind of people. These are just people just like me, you know, that want to have a family, that want to be able to eat, that want to have happiness, that want to have, you know, good connections. And I remember when I was, um, there was this one girl that we were close friends with and um, uh, our family was pretty close with her family and there was a girl, a daughter that they had that was my age. And I remember one day we were playing together in, uh, uh, just in their their living room and she got out these crayons, and it was one of those little boxes of crayons, you know, it's like four or five crayons in it, Um, and, you know, it's the kind of thing that you'd get for free at, like, a Chick-fil-A or something like that, it's this little box of crayons, you know, that's the thing they give you at the pizza place so that your kid doesn't destroy the restaurant, you know, that kind of thing, and um, and it's this little box of crayons, and I remember she, we we were, you know, just playing around and doing some coloring and stuff, and she got them out, and she said, here, do you want to use my crayons, and so, um, you know, I'm a boy, as you may have noticed, um, and um, my children, my boys color the way that I used to, which was, you know, you grip, you grip the crayon like that, and you just jam it down real good, you know, and, and color, so that way it gets a nice dark color there, and, you know, if you do it right, then there's a little bit of, like, three-dimension to it. It's really, it's good. It's a good thing to do, and so I'm coloring in my traditional manner, you know, with my crayon just kind of going to town, and I, you know, Get coloring enough to where I, that, that, that the tip of the crayon is gone and it's just to the paper. Now, what do you do when you're using your crayon and it gets down to where the paper is? You tear the paper off, of course. It's what any sane person would do. And so I just start tearing the paper off, you know, do 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 do. And, you know, I know how fast I like to color with crayons. And so I ripped it about halfway down and I color. And I grab the next crayon and start coloring and just do it, doing my thing, you know, just ripping the paper. And I notice that my friend isn't coloring with me, my Russian friend. And I turn and I look at her, and she's crying. And I'm confused. And, uh, and, and I look, and in her hand, she's picking up the little pieces of paper and putting them in her hand. And, um, uh, and then she kind of, like, gathers up the crayons and then walks away. And so I'm super confused by this. And, you know, again, I'm six years old, so my emotional spectrum is maybe a little bit narrow. So I'm like, oh no, something went wrong, you know. And, you know, however long it was, a few minutes later, um, my mom comes into the room, and this girl and her mom come into the room. And my mom says, "Uh, hey, uh, this girl's name was Melina. And she said, hey, do you know why Melina's crying? And I said, no. And she said, oh, those, uh, those crayons were a really special present for her. And she really, really loved those crayons. And she was really, really sad because you ripped the paper. And she, normally with her crayons that she only gets uh, a few of from time to time, she carefully takes the paper off and saves it because it's special to her. And... <laughs> I." Ha- I had multiple feelings at once. I had my defensive side, which, uh, which said, I shouldn't be in trouble, they're just crayons, you know, whatever. And then I had this other side of me, the more reasonable, uh, probably the Holy Spirit side, that all of a sudden just had this series of flashes. I flashed back to my grandma's house back in Southern California. I remember, just specifically, there was this big uh, cardboard domino box that my grandma had. And the dominoes had all been lost at some point. And so whenever we would play with crayons, my grandma uh, grew up in the Depression, so she would always, like, take whatever fragments of crayon were left over and she would throw them in this box. And there was this huge, you know, this big domino box just full of crayons, completely full, so many crayons that we would, there was just not enough room in them anymore. And I remember, like, anytime we want to draw with crayons, I would just go to that box, grab a handful out and throw them on, just kind of smash them around and everything like that. And I just, I, I, so I just had this series of revelations at six or seven years old, realizing, oh, you're experiencing crayons differently than I am. And you, this, crayons are kind of like... It, it, you know, they're, they're, all of us who were kids in America in Christmas time know there's a tier of how quality of gifts and presents and things like that, and toys and crayons are way at the bottom. That's just again, you just get that when you go to the McDonald's. You get that for free when you w- walk in anywhere. And so the idea that crayons would be valuable at all to anyone was completely foreign to me. And I had two things. One, I realized I realized that I came from. A, I realized that my upbringing had created a lens, had created a certain perspective. And one of those perspectives, as, as minute and maybe unimportant as that was, is crayons are not valuable <laughs> or are of minimal value. value. And the, the idea that I would ever be short on crayons or that's something I couldn't go for or something that I couldn't have at any time was just not something that entered into my little brain. And the other thing is I realized is I didn't know, like that defensive side that was like, it's just crayons, they're just crayons. Why are you being upset? Why am I getting in trouble right now? I wasn't actually getting in trouble, but that's what defensiveness does to you. Um, I realized in that moment, I, I was having a hard time figuring out how to value crayons, even enough to, be, to, to work up my way to being kind and apologizing to this girl. I remember, I I apologize the way, you know, seven-year-old boys do. Sorry. (laughs) But I remember that night laying in bed thinking about those crayons. And every now and again in my life, I think about those crayons. And the thing that I want to pull out of that, that simple, silly story today is it's so important to remember that we have a lens that has been Built up by our upbringing, by our perspective, by our experiences. And that lens determines how and why we value things. The thing I love about the gospel, the thing I love about the person of Jesus is that he is the perfect Example of what it looks like to be in relationship with God, to be connected with Him, to truly be a He is the Son of God, and we have been adopted into the family as sons and daughters of God. And Jesus is the example of what that looks like. And so I I wanted to take the opportunity in this season, in this season where we are celebrating the culmination of Heaven's plans for mankind. To remember to calibrate our lens to Jesus. To calibrate our lens to thankfulness towards him. Because, and this is convicting, and this is the conviction that's been on on me in this season, is if if I cannot experience actively thankfulness for what Jesus did, then I need to recalibrate my lens. That's not a, I'm, you're bad, that's not, you're, you're selfish. I was not a bad little kid for not understanding why the crayons were valuable. That wasn't because of anything negative, you know, that wasn't because of anything wrong that I did. It's just because I came from a place where there were lots of crayons. <laughs> and she came from a place where there were very few. But to be able to experience the kind of thankfulness and value that my friend had, I needed to recalibrate. You're not evil, you're not bad if Christmas seems like this big ballyhoo, if it seems like a religious exercise, if it, if all the traditions, if the songs seem, seem cheesy or if the songs seem redundant, it's just the perfect place where you can know and realize, I need to adjust my lens. If I can't experience this right now, this is the, one of the few places where I just know this is something I can be thankful for. This is something I can, I can engage the value in. And thankfulness, again, I want to be clear, it's not something you just work up, you know. It's not something you just make happen. You let what Jesus did transform your lens. You let that revelation come layer by layer, precept upon precept. Because if we try to force thankfulness, then we get just a religious exercise. But if instead we meditate on what Jesus did, who he was, who he is, it can transform that lens. Does that make sense? So I want to just do a little exercise here. I am, I'm going to read a section of scripture to you. Um, it's a little bit of a long one. Um, but I want you just to sit back and just receive this. Um, we, have a, we have four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I love it because they're all from a little bit different value system, a little bit of a different perspective, all focusing, all adjusting their lens to Jesus. And this is a very, very brief, uh, you know, uh, smash lesson on on. The gospels matthew was a tax collector so he's very detail oriented he really was interested in the genealogy of jesus hey jesus really does track back to all these people he was also really interested in all the prophecies that jesus was fulfilling because he saw that as evidence of jesus being who he said he was so he is the more detail-oriented technical-minded one in that sense mark was really fascinating because he um a lot of scholars believe that he was writing his accounts based on peter's direct accounts And you can kind of read in that Mark had this very personal interest, the detail of the story, the players in the story. He had this very personal, almost biographer kind of picture. And so he was very focused in the personal story. Luke was a physician. He was also very kind of detail-oriented. Rather than being uh, kind of from that tax collector, um, line by line, here's the proof, here's the evidence precept, he very much viewed things in the historical context, and he gives the impression of trying to really record this as a historical event. And John, uh, who's my personal favorite, is a little bit more of a poet, a little bit more of an artist, a, m- a little bit more of just someone who fell crazy in love with Jesus. Now, all, 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 I believe all the disciples did, but um, today I want to read John's account of the, the culmination of heaven's plans, of, of Jesus coming to the earth and what he did. I just want you to take a moment um, i 've asked after I do this i 've asked Vanessa and the team to come and play play just one or two songs for us um, but what I want to do right now is I want to um I want to t- practice adjusting our lens and finding our thankfulness for what Jesus did. so in doing that first, I want you to receive i 'm going to read what jesus did i 'm going to read john 's account of of the scope of the picture of what Jesus did, and I just want you to sit there, close your eyes, get comfortable, whatever you want to do, and just receive what Jesus did after that i invited i 'm going to have the team come up and we 're going to engage in worship and when we do that, I want to challenge you to come up to the front and give give to Jesus, give in worship there 's a lot of things that happen in worship sometimes in worship. I feel like I'm just recovering from my week. Sometimes in in worship, I feel like I'm coming to receive something. Sometimes I feel like it's an exchange, back and forth. Today, I just felt this compulsion, this this desire to just give sacrificially in thanks to Jesus for what He did. And what and I just want to encourage you: whether this is easy for you or hard for you, this isn't about singing loud enough or you know flailing around just so. Oh, this is about making choosing to engage, and choosing to step into a posture of just giving in honor to Him. Does that does that make sense? So first, we're going to receive. So just sit back. I'm just going to read this over you, and I just want you to receive this. Again, I like John's account because it's 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 poetic. It's it's flowery. He's more trying to convey the heart of of what Jesus did, and so. Rather than trying to receive it logistically, rather than trying to receive it um, in in, in any other specific way, just open your heart and receive what Jesus did. And this is from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And Lord, right now, before we engage in worship with you, Father, we just engage our hearts to receive the truth that a God that, was, that is infinite, a God that is holy, a God that is beyond anything that we could ever reach, ever, anything we could ever engage with, anything that we could ever actually connect with, that that God has actually closed the gap, that he sent his son to create connection that would have been impossible without his engagement. We receive that truth and whether we can hold on to one corner of it or we can get a whole handful of it or we can fully receive that into our heart, we receive however we can because we want the magnitude of who Jesus is to transform our perspective, to change the way that we think, to change the way that we receive, to change the way that we value everything, the way that we value ourselves, the way that we value our place in the world, the way that we value everything everything. We want you to be the anchor upon which we build our universe. just want to just stay here for just one moment, just lean into that thankfulness. I can just feel the revelation of who he is coming into the room in a way that it, that it might not normally or that we don't normally engage with. Yes, Lord, we just thank you again for showing your nature and engaging us first, choosing us first, loving us first. As we go into this time, I just, I just cancel any, any lie or any experience that would undermine our ability to experience the love of all loves. One the things that fascinates me about God is that he's He's so patient. He's ready to answer every single question that we have for him. He's willing to walk us through the process. He's re- willing to walk us through the details. He's willing to answer the hard questions. But the truth is, is oftentimes we cannot hear those answers. We cannot even absorb those answers until we choose to engage with him. And that's not because he's being stingy. It's not because he's holding back. It's not because he's asking you to pay for something. It's because we are literally unable to absorb some portions of his truth until we have been willing to engage in faith and take the risk of trusting that he's who he says he is. And So I just release the grace to recognize where you're asking us to take a step in faith. To be able to engage in the process of not throwing all our hard questions out the door, but maybe setting them down for a moment so that we could hold your hand. And I release the trust to recognize that you are willing and able and excited to walk us through any of those things that we might be wondering or facing. All right, so we're going we're gonna to shift gears. And I want as many of you as are, are willing and able, I want you to stand up and I want you to come to the front. We're just going to worship. My only heart here is that we're just engaging in worship to give something to our Lord in response to what he's doing, in response to who he is, in response to the magnitude of his love. Whether we understand a teeny corner of it, whether we only have guesses at it, either way, this is part of how we receive it, is by being willing to engage in thankfulness even when we don't understand it. There's a song. I woke up a couple nights ago. I was having a hard time falling asleep. I just felt this message burning in my heart, and I kind of prepared it then then and there. So I was up a little bit late preparing that message, and I woke up in the morning with this song burning in my head, blasting in my head. I couldn't remember where I'd heard it before, and it took me 20 minutes of Googling to even figure out what the song was. But I I still don't know when I heard it first or not, but this song was just blazing in my head over and over and over. So I asked Vanessa to start with singing this song. This may be familiar to you; it may not be familiar to you. Whether you're putting the, whether you know the words and are putting them on your lips, or if, or not, just I ask you just for this first song, and as we just spend a few more moments in worship, just to engage your heart with Him. This isn't about saying the words right. This isn't about anything other than making Jesus. place from which we shape our lens. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.